everybody. Welcome back to Two Jane Does. What's happening? We're actually on a on a record time here, being every week now. I know. Can you believe it? You're gonna get one episode a week. It's pretty. There's amazing. nowhere to knock on wood because we record on a plastic table. Well, wait. Knock on wood. The dogs didn't bark. I'm impressed. <sighs> yes. <laughs> oh. Too soon. Yep, just a little bit. Anyways, so today we're going to dive into a crime family mob situation. Uh, we're going to talk about Roy Albert Dino, who was an Italian-American mobster in the Gambino crime family of New York City. He headed his own group referred to as the Dino Crew, which became notorious for a very large number of murders, possibly as many as 200, with the majority of them committed by... Demio himself, and for the grisly way they disposed of the bodies, which became known as the Gemini method. Due to the method of killing and the high number of murders, this classified Demio as a serial killer. Ah! Now see, you say Demio, me reading it, I'm gonna say Demio, because I feel like that's that's authentic Italian. And if you guys notice, we pronounce things different between the two of us anyway. Oh, absolutely. So, Demio, Demeo, Roy, whatever. But, first, we have to give tribute to our sponsor, Eastern Crime Zone. Yes, and I do just want to say this. Thank you, Cassie, from the bottom of our hearts. Um, I know we had a four-episode run with you, and this is the final episode she'll be sponsoring. But... Also, if anybody else wants to sponsor us, like we, we'll do ad reads for you. We have no problem. We're sellouts. true crime and a quick google search will give you millions of articles films and podcasts that you should check out some stories are the same with different voices behind them you know ted bundy john wayne gacy jeffrey dahmer and the like we often hear more about them than we do their victims now let me ask you this have you heard of phoebe hanschuk ernie abara terry neely well if you haven't you should hop over to spotify or apple podcasts and check out the victim-centric podcast eastern crime zone Hosted by Cassie Millay, you can learn new details on cases you're familiar with and hear new cases you're likely never heard of. In the most recent episode, The Matricide of Honora Reaper, she covers the 1957 case that went down as one of the most intriguing in New Zealand's criminal history and remains fascinating all these years later. No spoilers here, you have to go and give it a listen. For more information on Eastern Crime Zone, check out the Facebook page by searching for Eastern Crime Zone or over at the website at www.easterncrimezone.com. So what are you waiting for? Grab your notepad, get settled in, and dive into a Cassie file with Eastern Crime Zone.
So, like we said at the top of the episode, we're going to be discussing Roy DeMeo, and um, we haven't fully decided whether this is going to be a two-parter or not. Um, I know when Kayla was doing the research, she came to him as like, girl, listen, I had to go into a lot of his early life and his background to get to where I want to finish the story. So... Yeah, and I had to do a lot of side research. <laughs> I had to watch a mob movie. I had to ask my boyfriend about stuff because he's all into that mob stuff. Had I mean, there's a lot, a lot of research that went into this. I think that I'm an expert by way of watching The Sopranos several times. But I watched The Irishman. Irishman, Irishman. Whichever it's probably Irishman. Anyways. So we're going to start by taking a peek at Mr. DeMayo's early life. So he was born Roy Albert DeMayo on September 7th, 1940 in Flatlands, Brooklyn to a working class Italian immigrant family of Neapolitan origin. The fourth of five children of Eleanor, who was a housewife, and Anthony DeMayo, who had a laundry company that he delivered for. I'm going to say quote unquote, but he probably did. He probably wasn't honest living because I feel like some of these people when, um, you know, their family is like the first generation to immigrate to America, they don't really come over here and they're just like mobsters right off the bat. Anyways, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Um, So, DeMeo graduated from James Madison High School in 1959 during which time he began earning money as a loan shark. So, in simple terms, I give you money that you must pay me back with interest, and I have very strict terms that you must follow or suffer severe consequences, such as me taking over your business, taking your property, and you still pay me, or as a last resort, you die, which is bad for my business because I want my money back. Again, I'm going to reference The Sopranos a lot because that's, that's like the one mobster crime family that I got into, like that show. And you did see a lot of this. Like, oh, absolutely. In The Sopranos, they had uh, a poker game. And it was high stakes poker. And they only invited people that had big money. And it was a game where they would stay up all night and they would play. And there is an episode where... Um, one of their friends wanted in the game and he was like, hey, can you front me, you know, like $10,000? And that was something that they did, but they were like, listen, we know you're kind of wishy-washy, so you got to get us back. You got to be good for it. And he ended up getting in so deep, girl. He ended up getting divorced. He lost his business. They were like, you got to draw back. Because what they ended up doing is like through his business, they wanted him to place like fake orders mm-hmm. in a business that was registered to them so that way they were just getting their money back through the business but then that became a huge ordeal and he had to draw bankruptcy and everything well yeah i mean a lot of the times when you're loan sharking it's like hey man i want to start this uh laundry mat can right. you borrow can i borrow money from you to start it up yeah and so then they're going to be like well sure but you know since you're doing a laundromat, that's going to be a good way to wash money. Yeah. So you're going to... Oh, it's just a front business. Yeah. I had to look up the whole, like, organization within a mob. Right. So for a person to be like, hey, I need to borrow money from you. 
that person becomes an associate. Right. And the lone shark is like a soldier. Right, exactly. So. And you see that a lot, like, again, back to the Sopranos, like, if you know Chrissy and Polly, any of them, they were the ones that were going to be running by these places, like laundromats and places like that, getting their envelopes of cash that they would then send up the food chain. Yep. So, that's something that we're going to get into, but anyways... She's probably going to use the Irishman. I'm probably going to use the Sopranos. So just so you don't think, like, what is this garbage episode of them talking about the Irishman and the Sopranos? That's how we're going to do it. But back to the story. Between the ages of 15 and 22, he also worked at a local grocery store where he trained as an apprentice butcher. This is important to remember, so keep that in the back of your head. Yes. Then, over a span of a few years, his family either died or moved away, leaving Roy to fend for himself in the big city at the young age of 19. His older brother, Anthony Frank DeMeo, a U.S. Marine Corps corporal, was killed in action during, during the Korean War on April 23, 1951. His father died of a heart attack on December 12, 1960, and his mother then returned to Italy with Roy's youngest brother. But this didn't cause much fault in anything Roy was doing as he married Gladys Rosamond Britton sometime in 1960, and he ended up having three children, two daughters, and a son. So he's been kind of busy. Family done. Everybody left him. Going back to Italy. But he gonna get married and have some children. I will say this, like, a lot of the, like, in, again, in The Sopranos, like, anytime anybody who had, like, the thick, authentic Italian accents, like, they, they did speak of Italy, like, it was just beautiful, they wanted to be back there, like, well, yeah. they don't want to live in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> in 1966, DeMeo, since <laughs> I'm just going to go with how you go, whatever. Uh, in 1966, he moved into a custom-built home in Massapequa, Long Island. By all accounts, he was a devoted family man, and when asked to describe how things were growing up, his children would say they grew up in a normal household, which is pretty typical for anybody whose family is involved in the mafia. You know, it's usually just mm-hmm. the guy that knows everything. The wife might be like, eh, kind of know what's going on, but the children do not. Right, yeah, their significant others have to know because they are on a need to know basis. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, Carmela was always getting like super nice jewelry, and this is again back to the Sopranos. Don't think Carmela is involved in this story, but like they're getting all these nice things, and if like you work in quote unquote waste management. You're not pulling in, like, that kind of money unless you actually own the company and, like, business is booming to where you're going out and you're buying, like, Porsches. No problem. But nobody asked any questions. Of course. Yeah. Because they like it. Duh. The lifestyle. So one of his daughters would grow up to be a clothing designer while the other became a doctor. Nice. Um, his son would later grow up to be a stockbroker and was actually diagnosed with PTSD and wrote the following regarding his father. Quote, I grew up in a very normal household. Now I read this about my dad and it really upsets me. This was cathartic. I went into this book with noble intentions, but I realize now that I can't fix my father's in- image. 
He did kill. I know those things. I can't fool myself, but I can show that there was another side to him, a father who took care of his family, end quote. And I think what I, I didn't include this, but I think that I read that his son, like, seen something on TV, had a total mental freaking breakdown, mm-hmm. quit his job, diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. On whether that stemmed from his family life at home and how he was raised, I don't know. But right, I mean, I could see that. Like when you're growing up, like your parents, nine chances out of ten are your heroes. If you grew up in a healthy environment, you know, with a family that stayed together and um, your structure there was strong, I could see, you know, how learning these things about your dad later would be like a huge shock because it would make you feel like everything. Was like a lie. Your, yeah, through your formative years, you know, that that was a lie. And none of it was real. And, like, your dad was actually, you know, Jackal and Hyde. So, mm. Mm. so moving forward from kind of how his family started and how he started his own family, we're going to jump into how he started forming his own crew. Yep. So, how did this young family man get to be involved in the Gambino mob family and create his own like offshoot. Well, talent gets you recognized, and Roy was pretty good at being a loan shark. DeMeo was initially an associate of the Flatlands Canorsi faction of the Lucchesi family, which controlled tow truck companies, junkyards, and car theft operations in that section of Brooklyn. But he was introduced into the Gambino crime family by Anthony Gaggi, a quote-unquote talent seeker for the Gambino crime family. And if you do not know who the Gambino crime family is, They were an Italian-American mafia crime family and one of the, quote, five families that dominate organized crime activities in New York City within the nationwide criminal phenomenon known as the American Mafia. Again, to put this into, like, simpler terms, if you've ever watched The Sopranos, like, you had, like, people in New Jersey, then you had people in New York, you had people... Just kind of all the major relatively big close, cities. but like all in like a similar area. And they all could work together. Right. So long as they didn't cross into other people's businesses. Right. And I mean, family wars were a huge thing. Um, so I mean like a family from New Jersey couldn't step into New York City and start sniping business and pulling business away from them. That's a huge right. issue. So they were one of the main five families. Um, so Gaggi noticed DeMeo in 1966 and told him that he could make him even more money with a successful business if he came to work directly for the Gambinos. DeMeo accepted this and began working for the Gambinos, but it was never enough and he always wanted more. Who wouldn't want more? I mean, yeah. I'm just saying. Especially if you're good at what you're doing. Exactly. You start living that lifestyle... Again, y'all are going to get so tired of me saying The Sopranos, but I mean, they lived in a nice house. They had nice cars. Like, the style was, you know, early 2000s Soprano style, but lame. But the jewelry, like, I would I would love it. I would love it. Oh, my God, the nice things. Ugh. I'm a material girl. What can I oh, say? my God. So, here's where uh, some names might seriously get butchered. So, <laughs> just, just bear with me here. 
Through the late 1960s, Demio's organized crime prospects increased on two fronts. The loan sharking business with Gaggi and the Gambinos, and he began developing a crew of young men involved in car theft, which later became known both in the underworld and in law enforcement circles as the Demio Crew. So here's where he starts picking up all these people. So by 1972, the Demio Crew who were obtained through knowing people, consisted of Chris Rosenberg and friends. I will say that because there was a lot of people that he knew that just kind of went with him. Um, Chris actually ended up being Roy's right-hand man. Um, He was a local drug dealer and the first member of the crew. Then you have Joseph and Patrick Testa. And I do know this from watching The Irishman. There was a Testa involved in that movie. Mm-hmm. Don't have any clue if there's any relation or not, but found that interesting. <laughs> uh, you have Anthony Center, Richard and Frederick Denome, Henry Borelli, Joseph the Dracula, Googly Googlymo, 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 which was Roy's cousin, <laughs> uh, Edward Danny Grillo, Vito Arena, and Carlo Profeta, among many more later indicted into the crew. So I didn't include all the freaking names, but these are some pretty important names. Right. So. Yeah. However, <sighs> knowing people and obtaining a crew does not get you far. So what does any crime family need to survive? Money, money, money. Money. So in 1972, Demio joined a Brooklyn credit union, credit union, gaining a position on the board of directors shortly afterward. He utilized his position to launder money earned through his illegal ventures. He also introduced colleagues at the credit union to a lucrative side business, laundering the money of drug dealers he had become acquainted with. Demio also built up his loan sharking business with funds stolen from credit union reserves. Demio's collection of loan shark customers, while still primarily those in the car industry, soon included other businesses such as dentist's office, an abortion clinic, restaurants, and flea markets. He also was listed as an employee for a Brooklyn company named S&C Sportswear Corporation and frequently told his neighbors he worked in construction, food retailing, and the used car business. So he's just your regular old company man doing what he can for his family to survive. So one of the first known murders was that of Paul Rothenberg, who was shot twice in the head on July 29th, 1973, in an alley in Flower Hill, New York, by Nino Gaggi and Mio after being suspected of cooperating with authorities. So this guy's not super important, but this just, I just threw this in here because it follows the timeline and here's where things kind of start to go downhill for him. He's, he's already, I mean, it's been like, what, four years, two years maybe, and he's already killing people. Yeah, but I mean, like, I know it's, that's, that's another thing, like, you know, you listeners have to understand, you don't, you, you can't be a cooperator. No. And be involved in a crime family. No, there's a lot of things that you cannot do or that's the consequences you're going to suffer. Yeah, because something that you'll see is like whether you're blood relation or just relation through being involved in the same crime family together, like, that's a huge no-no. If they even think that you're involved with cooperating with the feds or anything like that, like, 
you're going to take a trip. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as far as your family knows, you are in the witness protections program or like you took off. Um, they'll make something up. Um, but typically they will support your family. Like they'll continue kicking money back to you and make sure your family's took care of. But as far as you, no. Nah. And you got to think at this point, sure, he has his own crew and he might be the head honcho for his crew. But as far as the Gambino family goes, he is a soldier. Right. Doing all the dirty work. He's a grunt. And that's it. Yeah. So, for him to go out and do this with Nino Gaggi was probably just part of the Gambino's family's oh, orders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just maintenance is all. <laughs> so, if it all sounds like everything is going a little bit too nicely for DeMeo, you're probably correct. Because soon there was trouble in paradise. Um, conflict between the DeMeo crew and Andre Katz, a partner of DeMeo's and the Stolten Car Ring. Uh, these tensions began to escalate in 1974. In January 1975, Katz visited the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office and voluntarily provided them information that Chris Rosenberg was heavily involved in auto theft, which, like we just said, this is a huge no-no. Like, snitches get stitches. Exactly. Well, in this case, snitches end up in ditches. They don't. Get, they don't even get stitches. You just bypass that completely. True. <laughs> so, DeMeo learned about the meeting immediately after it happened from an auto crimes detective on his payroll. Which that should also be noted while we're here at this little pit stop that there are dirty cops yep. that they would flip to keep them in the loop of what's going on, so that way things could operate more smoothly and. Um, typically only one person, even in a crew, might know about this, but, like, you gotta have a connect, because you don't want everybody in your crew to know, like, hey, this is my, this is my cop on the inside, so. Yep. That should be noted, too. But DeMeo ordered one of his members, Henry Borelli, to contact a female acquaintance, Babette Judith Questel, about being used as bait. By May, Andre had appeared before a Brooklyn grand jury and divulged what he knew about the DeMeo crew's illegal activities, but DeMeo's bait plan was about to silence Andre for good. So, on June 13, 1975, Questel was used to successfully lure cats to her Manhattan apartment complex for what he thought was a date, <laughs> where, upon arrival, he was immediately abducted by members of the DeMeo crew. Could you just imagine, like, Trolling for some puss. I mean, you just get snatched up and you're like, shit. Yeah, your date night was... Knew it was too good to be true. Yep. <laughs> so, he was then taken to the meat department. <laughs> um, remember, DeMeo was a trained butcher. He did that in, you know, his younger years. Of a supermarket in Rockaway Beach, Queens, where he was stabbed multiple times in the heart and the back by a butcher knife. DeMeo then decapitated cats, and his head was then crushed when it was put through a machine normally used for compacting cardboard boxes. That's metal. So, the rest of his body was dismembered, and the body parts were wrapped in plastic bags and then deposited into the supermarket's dumpster, where they were discovered days later when a pedestrian walking his dog spotted one of Katz's legs lying on a curb near the store. The police reported to the press that a grisly, brutal killing had occurred, but that was the extent of the information given. The body was identified as that of Katz two days later through the use of dental records. 
This way of killing victims was coined the Gemini method. Yeah, so Homie just went from shooting somebody to crushing their head, dismembering them, <laughs> and dumping dumping all the pieces in a dumpster. Talk about going zero to a hundred real quick. Again, it makes me think of um, The Sopranos, like when Chris kills this, and I, don't, I can't remember whether he was Russian or what he was, but um, anyways, he kills him and then he has one of the other guys come and help him to try and get rid of his body, and they literally, like, one had him by the arms, one had him by the legs, and you know, like, they're swinging them back and forth. But they were being so unrealistic because it was this huge dumpster that was like a good full person taller than they were. And they ended up just like going the body and it just like, you just hear it slam into the side of this dumpster. And I just died. So it's funny. Sorry. Dismembering them is a, probably a much easier way to get rid of a person. Especially if you're a trained butcher. <laughs> exactly. But then it's just smaller pieces to move instead of... A whole ass body. A whole body. Yeah. <laughs> so, what and why is this method of killing called the Gemini method? As the 1970s continued... Demio cultivated his followers into a crew experienced with the process of murdering and dismembering victims, with the exception of killings intended to send a message to any who would hinder their criminal activities or murders that presented no other alternative. A set method of execution was established by Demio and crew to ensure that victims would be dispatched quickly and then made to disappear. The style of execution was dubbed the Gemini Method after the Gemini Lounge, which was the primary hangout of the Demio crew, as well as the site where most of the crew's victims were killed. Ooh. So he he had his little little place, much like a strip club, just a little lounge. Yeah. So the process of the Gemini method, as revealed by multiple crew members and associates who became government witnesses in the early 1980s, was to lure the victim through the side door of the lounge and into the apartment in the back portion of the building. At this point, a crew member, which was almost always Demio himself, would approach with a silenced pistol in one hand and a towel in the other, shooting the victim in the head, then wrapping the towel around the victim's head wound like a turban to stanch the blood flow. So we're trying to not make a mess. Right. And immediately after that, another member of the crew, which was originally Chris Rosenberg. R.I.P little spoiler there, uh, would stab the victim in the heart to prevent more blood from pumping out of the gunshot wound. So, quick, fast, get it over with. Right. By then, the victim would hopefully be dead, <laughs> at which point the body would be stripped of clothing and dragged into the bathroom, where the remaining blood drained out or congealed within the body. This was to eliminate the messiness of the next step, which was when crew members would place the body into plastic sheets laid out in the main room and proceed to dismember, cutting off arms, legs, and head. Ooh, like Dexter. Kind of like Dexter. Dexter God. <laughs> so that was, that was the key way that they did things. Right, and after they would Gemini you up, uh, the body parts would then be put into bags, placed in corporate boxes, and sent to Fountain Avenue dump in Brooklyn. 
So many tons of garbage were dropped each day at the dump that it would be nearly impossible for the bodies to be discovered. And this is something that still happens. Like people are still be like, it's probably unknown how many bodies are in like a landfill or a dump because there's just so much trash. It's nearly impossible, like a needle in a haystack, impossible to find somebody. Yeah, and see, I didn't really put this in here, but I did read that uh, after everything was said and done and he was, you know, they figured out who he was, what he was doing, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They tried to get the landfill to allow them to, you know, pretty much dig up stuff and find remaining body parts of people. But they eventually were like, it's going to be too much money. It's not worth our time. Oh, yeah. And that's when they, the landfill was replaced by a park. They right. kind of just mounded over it all, mm. buried it deep. Never happened. Here's your park. Right. That's like my mom. She brought up something along similar lines. But she talked about this really nice, like, apartment complex, hotel type deal that was in Japan. And she would, she told us, maybe that'd be cool for an episode. Um... But it was built round. So it's cylindrical in shape. And the entire inside is just open space. So round building. The apartments, the rooms follow this curve. So that way like you could go to a window. And you could literally just see like down all the way. And it was stories up. Mm -mm. And there was a lot of crime and fishy stuff going on in this place. And... By the time they did shut it down, the, like I said, the whole middle was just open. By the time they got in there and shut it down and they were trying to clean it out, like, up to the fourth or fifth floor was piled with garbage. Oh my God. And there was no other way to get it out other than to just go in and, like, manually, like, pull stuff out. And they were pulling bodies where people had jumped. I mean, all sorts of craziness. Yeah, maybe we'll have to cover them. Yeah. Ah! That's what that was crazy. So, anywho, going back to the main story, um, the Gemini method was not always used, um, but it was when it was necessary. So, some victims were killed in other ways for various reasons, and at times, suspected informants or those who committed an act of disrespect against a member of the crew or their superiors had their bodies left in the streets of New York to serve as a message and a warning. There were also occasions where it would not be possible to lure the intended victim into the Gemini Lounge, in which other, in which case other locations would have to be used. A cabin cruiser owned by Richard Denome was used on at least one occasion to dispose of the remains. Yeah, so they might have just killed you, but eventually they 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 did dismember you. Just didn't matter where it was. Mm-hmm. Just to get rid of me. Yep. So, you gotta go big or you gotta go home. Mm. It's the way of the game. Because you can only continue your lucrative business if you continue to invest in more lucrative businesses. To have money, or to make money, you gotta spend money. That's very true. Yeah, that's the right term. Uh, yeah. I... Mm. Sounds right. Yeah. 
<laughs> in the latter half of 1975, Demio became a silent partner in a peep show prostitution establishment in Bricktown, New Jersey, after the owner of the business became unable to pay, pay his loan sharking debts. So, DeMeo also began dealing in bestiality and child pornography, which he sold to his New Jersey establishment as well as connections he had in Rhode Island. Yeah. People are freaky. Anthony Soprano would never. Well, <laughs> there's a reason this guy's a serial killer. This so. is also real life and not a show. <laughs> True that. So, when Gaji found out about Demio's involvement in such taboo films, he ordered Demio to stop under the threat of death. This was the type of business that the Gambinos did not like dealing in. However, Demio defied Gaji and continued the practice. Gaji did not retaliate, and according to his nephew Dominic Montiglio, the subject was never mentioned again as long as Demio continued making payments to Gaji. So, they just let it go as long as he was still sending money up. Yeah, which is a little bit unusual, but you gotta think, he has his own crew. Yeah, but that also makes the Gambinos look weak, though, in that moment. A little bit, yeah. Because they're they, letting at him first do... they came in heavy and they were like, stop or we're gonna kill you. And then they back off. Mm. It's a little, yeah. threats. So, Demio also dealt in narcotics. Once again, despite the Gambino family strictly forbidding such activity... He financed a major operation importing Colombian marijuana, which was unloaded from an offshore freighter and sold at various auto shops in Canarsie, and also sold cocaine out of the Gemini Lounge. So, I think one thing I read about the Gambino family was that they were pretty much like like street lucrative businesses. They didn't really deal in the whole strip club, porn, big drugs. It was like more or less small crime to the oh, in right, hopes yeah. of not getting caught. And you like the I mean? Gemini, the Gemini Lounge again is probably just a front because that's what mm-hmm. it was, in, and that's what it was in The Sopranos. Yeah. Was that was just like a front business? You know, cops and feds knew that like, hey, that's where they hang out. But I mean, like they never, they never really like sat out and was just like strippers and titties they typically just went in the back they had their meetings that was one way they could filter money through and say they were making an honest living yep so as all things all good things must come to an end as 1975 drew to a close DeMeo was the subject of IRS investigations into his income Months earlier, the borough of Brooklyn Credit Union had been pushed into insolvency as a result of DeMeo and his colleagues' plundering of its finances. And as a result, DeMeo quit the credit union. Before an indictment could be handed down against him, he utilized false affidavits from businesses owned by friends and acquaintances claiming he was on their payrolls as an employee. These affidavits served as an account for some of his income, allowing him to reach settlement with the IRS. However, DeMeo's sources of income continued to grow. By July 1976, DeMeo added an automobile firm by the name of Team Auto Wholesalers to his loan shark customers. The owner of Team Auto, Matthew Rega, also purchased stolen vehicles from the crew and sold them off at a New Jersey car lot that he owned. 
He also involved himself with hijacking delivery trucks from John F. Kennedy International Airport with Edward Danny Grillo as his hijacker. So, it just sounds to me like he's got too many irons in the fire. Yep. Um, You know, if you're going to do one thing, do it well. Not a bunch of things half-assed. Right. So, he started out with loan sharking and some car theft Mm -hmm. which turned into laundry mats porn bestiality cocaine marijuana and now hijacking a freaking international airport yeah yeah but he wanted more yeah it's a problem in the fall of 1976, the Gambino family went through a massive change when its boss, Carlo Gambino, died of natural causes. Paul Castellano was named the new boss, with Anilo Delacroix retaining the position of underboss. The implications of this were twofold for DeMeo. Gaggi was elevated to the position of capo regime, or captain. I've also heard it called lieutenant, so... There's some words in here that I just kind of switched around for that. So so you have a boss, you have an underboss, and then you can have multiple capo regimes mm-hmm. who take control of the soldiers who do all the dirty work with the associates. There right, so the soldiers answer to the capo, the capo goes to the underboss, the underboss deals directly with the boss. Yep, and then sometimes the boss will have like a concierge who is just somebody he bounces off of ideas with but doesn't really have much to do with anything. Gaggi was promoted, taking over the crew of men Castellano previously headed. This promotion was beneficial for Demio, whose mentor was now even closer to the family leadership. Another advantage was that with Gambino deceased, new associates would be eligible for membership into the family. But Castellano did not immediately open the books for new members, opting instead to promote existing members and shuffle around the crew's leaders. He also allegedly opposed the idea of Demio becoming a made man. I cannot say I really blame him for shutting that down at first. Because he's got his hands in way too many freaking fires. Right, and if you watch The Sopranos and you know who Chrissy is, Chrissy wanted to be a made guy. And being a made guy did not work out for Chrissy. So, just to give you an idea. (laughs) And becoming a, a made man... It's, it's a it's big a deal. It's a lot more responsibility, yeah. Yeah, big, like, big deal. You basically head your own crew, and you've got to be able to answer for everything that they do. Yeah. And, I mean, technically he's already like that, but it's more like he has his own crew of soldiers. He doesn't have quite the leadership of right. his own crew. Right, um, So, Castellano involved himself in white-collar crime and looked down on street-level members such as Demio. Additionally, Castellano felt Demio was uncontrollable. Gaggi's attempts at persuading Castellano to make Demio were continually rejected. And here's where some more interesting things happen. So while this is going on, he's constantly getting rejected being a made man, which is what I think kind of also led into these four other known murders. Um... So, the first one was that of Vito Borelli after the Gambino boss Paul Castellano ordered his death. After Borelli made a statement on Castellano's appearance and made the comparison to Frank Perdue in front of his daughter. 
He was shot in the face and body at a building in Manhattan owned by Anthony Rabito and former Bonanno underboss Salvatore Vitelli allegedly drove his body to a garage in Queens where he saw Demio holding a knife to dismember Borelli. So, even though he's getting all these rejections, he's still out here like, I gotta dismember these bodies. And maybe that was his way of relieving stress. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, the next is Joseph Brocini, a Lachis family soldier. He was shot five times in the head inside of his office by Demio and Henry Borelli in Woodside, Queens, as a result of previously arguing with and punching Demio. So, even though he is not a made man, he is still punishing people as if he were a made man. Mm-hmm. Because you do not, you don't touch, you don't push, you don't shove nothing to a made man because that will put a mark on your back. Right. But even as a made man, like, they weren't the ones that were like, okay, I'm just gonna kill you. Typically, even made men don't just reserve the right to just be putting people down. That's usually still something that has to come from higher up the food chain. Right. But he just, he just out here doing whatever he wants. Yeah, he's just doing his own thing. He's uncontrollable. Uh, then there is Vincent Governara, who was shot multiple times by Demio and Nino Gaji as revenge for breaking Gaji's nose in a fistfight. Hmm. And the last one is George Byram, who was killed by Demio for tipping off thieves that led to Nino Gaji's vacation home in Florida being robbed. 42-year-old Byram was shot in the face and stabbed 11 times. Jeez. So... In a way, if you think about it, he is off the rails for what we would normally think of a mob family being as. Right. He's not following any of the rules. He's not listening. But at the other hand, the Gambino family is letting him do all these things. Right. They're not punishing him for stepping out of line. Right. They're just rejecting him for being a made man. Yeah. So, by 1977, DeMeo became distraught by his situation of not being a made man for the Gambino family and searched for opportunities that would ensure larger returns for his superiors. So, that's obviously one of the things you do. You get, if you get a piece of anything, it's got to go back up, and whatever comes back down is yours. Yep. So, at one point, after many more rank changes within the Gambino family for the new underboss, the Bull, the Bull recalled a situation where he met with DeMeo to discuss cars. They met at a diner, and the bull later recalled that DeMeo was looking at a room of seniors in an adjoining room. The bull asked him if he was interested in talking cars. DeMeo replied no, stating that he was thinking how easy it would be to murder the room full of elderly diners. The bull was shocked. Um, business was one thing. This was not business. This was something else. The bull told his lieutenant, or Kappa, um, there's something wrong with this guy. I think he's becoming a serial killer. Be wary. Be prepared. Something's not right up here. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I wasn't able to really find a time place for when this occurred. Okay. So, I'm assuming it had to be before he became a made man. That's why I put it here. Right. And... I think this is a turning point for when the Gambino family might have started seeing, like, ooh, he's... So it's not right. 
And it's not. I mean, who the hell sits in a diner and is like, man, I wonder what, it, how easy it'd be to kill all these old folks. Like, what? That's not normal. That's not normal. Especially when you sit in there talking with a lieutenant mm-hmm. about your business. Right. But yeah. you don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about how easy it is to kill people. Yeah, nobody wants to go into business with somebody who's that uh, half-cocked and just not right. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little creepy creep. So, this is going to be a good stopping point for us for part one of Roy DeMeo, a.k.a. Mr. Gemini, a.k.a. Crazy Gemini. Aren't all Geminis <laughs> crazy, though? I don't know. I don't do that Zodiac stuff. They are. Me. They're fucking crazy. So, coming up in part two, we're going to discuss how uh, DeMeo ends up becoming a made guy. Um, more trouble that happens in the business. And the downfall and the aftermath of how all this plays out. And don't forget the many murders that are in between. Oh yes. Yes. The trail of body theories behind. So make sure you guys stay tuned for part two. Um, as always another big thank you to Cassie Malay over at Eastern Crime Zone for sponsoring us. Yes. Thank you. Um, go check her podcast out. It's pretty great. Um, and stay safe. Don't die. Take care. Brush your hair. (laughs) Later.